0: Welcome to the Depressed Salesman Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Massey, the Depressed Salesman. So glad that you could join me for another authentic conversation about the intersection of our mental well-being and sales results. We've had a couple of episodes so far and great interviews with Gregory Cook and Glenn Jessup, who both shared some of the tools that they use to improve their mental health at work and as a result, perform and achieve great sales results even under the stresses of the job. So today for this episode, I thought we'd try something a little bit different. I've had some questions. uh, What is the depressed salesman? Where does the idea come from? So I thought that today would be a good idea to, uh, to share how this journey began for me Uh, some of my personal story and what it is that I'm trying to accomplish through the depressed salesman. So I've been in B2B business to business sales a little over 30 years now and uh, most of that time was spent in distribution or manufacturing sales in the construction industry. So that's where a lot of my experience came from. And if I turn the clock back about 13, 14 years ago, so I was already about uh, 18 years into my selling career, and I got an opportunity to get a new job with just a top-flight company uh, in my field. At the time that I was negotiating uh, to to take on this new role. I was actually in the parking lot of the hospital as my wife was inside about to give birth to our second daughter and it just felt like the timing wasn't right for me. You know I needed to focus on our family so I turned the opportunity down. Over the next year or so I spent a lot of time just sort of doing homework and really trying to figure out who that company was and lo and behold the opportunity came back my way again and so I jumped on it you know I'd figured out uh, what this company believed in how they did business uh, what they were all about what the opportunity for me and my family was and you know I jumped in head first so as a result I spent the majority of the first year of of that employment focusing solely on work and you know i recognized what a fantastic opportunity this was for our future and i was going to do everything in my power that i was going to make it work for us you know crazy approach i was working over 90 hours a week uh, at the detriment of, of everything else in my, in my life. You know, I wasn't available to, to help my wife with our, our newborn and our, our two-year-old daughter. Um, I wasn't focused on taking care of myself, investing in the relationship with my wife, uh, friends and family, you name it. The entire focus was work. A year went by, and things were going well, our, our results were, were good, we were rebuilding a territory that had really suffered a decline. And, you know, I knew a lot of people, I had a lot of connections and relationships in the market. So we were able to kind of pick off some low hanging fruit in the, in the beginning and move towards success. This is the summer of 2011. And you know I'm a big hockey fan. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks were a massive part of my experience growing up in Vancouver. You know with my siblings, uh, my relationship with my father. It was a huge component of our, our life, our household. You know how the Canucks were doing definitely impacted on the energy in, in our family. You know as as life would have it the Canucks were one of the best teams around for two or three years and in June of 2011 they were in the Stanley Cup final and I remember I was away out of town working the night before game seven of the finals and I felt like I'd been waiting you know my whole life for this opportunity and my team was finally going to gonna win the championship and I was so excited I couldn't get to sleep the night before so about 10 minutes after midnight so just a few minutes into the morning of game seven my phone rings and my father passes away unexpectedly and I mean I was I was shook I did not see that coming Um, It was a very, very sad moment. And then our team lost as it turned out. And I'd felt like I'd been waiting my entire life for the worst day of my life. And I didn't know it until it showed up. And this hit me really hard. My solution to dealing with How I felt in the moment was to drink a couple of beers and smoke a joint. And, you know, one day turned into a few, and a few days turned into a few weeks. And I didn't realize at the time that what I was actually doing was I was trying to numb myself from the pain of the grief and sadness that I felt. And, I wasn't dealing with, you know, the experience that I found myself in. I was just trying to trying to push it down and not have to deal with it, trying to numb it. So, you know, this went on for a few months and I ended up in a really dark place. I couldn't trust myself with my own safety anymore. Um, I was really scared. I didn't know how to pull myself out of the darkness that I felt trapped in. And I knew there was something seriously wrong with me. I had no idea what it was. But I knew that I wouldn't be able to solve the problem on my own. So I reached out for help. You know, I thought that that's what you're supposed to do interestingly enough because of circumstances that I think are out of our control it started a snowball and it grew bigger and bigger until there was no way of controlling the consequences that came from reaching out for help so that's an interesting component of my story to me. However, what I did was I talked to my wife. This was a Thursday night. Um, our kids had gone to bed. And, you know, I, at that point in my life, I felt like I had all of these points of stress that were dragging me under and, these points of stress were the problems that I had. So that's the way that I approached the conversation with my wife. And I explained to her how dark my mind was, um, how I'd never felt like this before. I didn't know how to help myself. I didn't know how to keep myself safe anymore. I explained that I felt like I was drowning and I needed everything to stop to allow myself to find health again and I didn't know what that would look like but I didn't know if I could keep working I didn't think I could continue to parent our 2 and 4 year or 2 and 4-year-old daughters I didn't think that I could stay in our marriage. I felt that all of these things were just constricting my ability to breathe. And I needed it all to stop. So it was a really difficult conversation, obviously. But it lifted a weight off of me. And I was happy that I'd asked her to help me with the problem that I felt it had. So I woke up the next morning, and the first thing I did was I called my boss. And you have to understand, I knew this guy for a year. We'd worked together for a year at the time. And uh, we didn't know each other that well, really. So another very challenging conversation for me to explain to him, you know, where I found myself... Um, how I needed help and you know that conversation started out as him explaining to me you know there's times in our lives where sometimes we have to take a couple steps back to be able to take one step forward and you know it felt like that perhaps my career was on the line. Uh, He was really supportive, but, you know, it was also a conversation full of truth and honesty. And sometimes truth and honesty comes with consequence. So luckily enough, uh, after a difficult conversation with him, he explained to me that there was really one question And the question was, if I was committed to getting myself healthy again, there was no doubt in his mind that the company was committed to me and to my family. That I was their guy in the market. They would continue to support me. They would continue to pay me. They would offer me all the medical assistance that they could and, if need be, legal assistance as well. And they would work through this with me as long as I was committed to doing the work myself. So I can't really describe the feeling of reaching out for someone's hand... as you feel like you're being swallowed up... by a black hole... and... you know that hand... that grabs on to you... it doesn't pull you out of the black hole... you have to do all of that hard work on your own... but it stopped me from spiraling further... and the reason that that happened... Was because someone offered me hope. In a moment of utter hopelessness. Hope is an incredible gift to receive. So the next thing that I did. Was I went and saw my doctor. And he diagnosed me with severe depression. And it was brought on on by the grief of the passing of my father. And... You know, all of the other physical symptoms that I was experiencing were related to that depression because I had tension in my chest. I felt like my heart was going to explode, Um, you know, a whole slew of of other physical ailments. But it was all related to this this mental health disorder that I had no idea what that diagnosis meant um, but again, it, it felt like there was hope because if there was a diagnosis, there was probably a path to recovery. You know, it seemed like I was starting to take steps forward. So I remember driving home. This is now Friday heading into Labor Day long weekend and I was excited To see my wife and and tell her about the conversations that I'd had, and you know how how I felt hopeful that there was a path towards health for me, and hopefully to get the joy and happiness back into my life. And I came in the house and walk up the stairs, and they come across a note in the middle of the stairs, and the note says. Michael, we love you, we had to leave, we need you to get better, that's it. And I hit rock bottom. You know, when you reach out for help, and one of the results... Of that request. Is that the three people. That I cared about more than. Anyone else on the planet. Ran away from me. It was. Shocking to me. I was angry. I felt betrayed. I didn't feel. Like asking for help. Would result in more loneliness. I felt like it was going to be an experience of people wrapping their arms around and supporting me. But unfortunately, this snowball started to happen. And a lot of the experience relates to the fact that nobody teaches us how to support their spouse with depression. There's no education that is part of our schooling or our workplaces that offers us tools and support to recognize mental health disorders, to support those that are going through the difficult time dealing with that. And... Because there's very little available that we know what to do when somebody comes to us and they're at the edge of the cliff. You know, my wife made a decision where she had no idea how to support me, so she reached out for help to figure out what she should do, and she went and saw her doctor, and her doctor among many other things, told her that he had an obligation to report our circumstances to the Ministry of Children and Families, and if she didn't remove our two- and four-year-old daughters from the home, the government would remove them for her. Now, I can't imagine the position that my wife Claudia found herself in in that moment, You know, just going and looking for tools to help me. And, you know, the government is going to take our kids. So, you know, I thank God every day that she had the strength to protect our children in that moment and leave. You know, knowing the conversation that she had with me the night before, knowing... How dark my world was. How I was teetering on the precipice of living and dying, really. And she was able to set that aside, not knowing what would happen to me in order to look after our daughters. I can't imagine the difficulty of that decision for her. But she made the right one. And that note and that experience of learning this information and the involvement of the ministry in our lives, and thankfully lit a fire of change in me because I felt questioned you know, as a man, and a father, and a husband, a provider. You know, all of the responsibilities that I thrived on, you know, supporting my family and and building a career to allow us to have one parent at home with our children while the other worked, and, you know, to afford a, a beautiful life that we had all of that was being taken away from me and my ability to keep my children safe was being questioned you know my ability to keep my spouse safe to keep myself safe was being questioned so it it caused fundamental change to happen in my life and the first thing that i did was I started to look at, you know, how can I change the circumstance that I find myself in? So I talked to the HR department in, in the company I worked for, and they offered me the support of the employee assistance program, which was a fantastic first step for me because it allowed me to get in touch with a doctor that through over a year of some pretty heavy counseling, um, you know, I was able to get my health back. And the program that was offered gave me 12 hours of coverage in a year. And the doctor that I was seeing three times a week, three hours a week, was costing $200 an hour you know I had left my home obviously so my wife and children could live in our home Uh, I had been told that I would continue to receive my paychecks you know that was part of the decision of taking a leave of absence from work unfortunately you know there was some red tape, or somebody missed something, and yeah, no, we'll cover your salary, but it's to an $800 every two-week limit, you know, so I find myself not working, uh, spending $200 an hour three times a week on a psychologist, outside of my home, paying for two homes to function, and trying to stop everything so that I could just focus on getting my health back. So that's what I mean. Like this snowball started to build. And I find that the system to protect those of us that need help and reach out for help is really wanting You know, that's a bigger conversation for another day. But uh, yeah, so I, I started down this path of trying to get my health back. And, you know, the counseling was a massive part of that. The other thing that I did was I chose sobriety. Not so much because I had a massive problem with alcohol in my life you know, I I drank a couple of beers, but uh, I did have a problem with marijuana in my life. That was definitely an addiction. It was a problem and it needed to stop. So on the day I received the note on the stairs, I stopped drinking. Uh, It took me five more days, but I I stopped uh, consuming marijuana as well. And Really, when I found out that their depressants was what made it possible for me to stop. Because if I was serious about overcoming the challenge of severe depression that I was living through, then it didn't make sense to me. It wasn't logical to continue to put depressants into my body because I wasn't giving myself a fighting chance. So I was able to stop. And, you know, change, like fundamental change, like sobriety, um, trying to find a plainer ground in life, like less ups and downs emotionally, just trying to live an experience more in the middle. For me, that was a really interesting experience. I don't know if it's different for, for other people fundamental change but for me it was an experience of pure utter selfishness and I don't mean that in the way that you would think I mean that Um, for example my daughters you know obviously I wanted my children to have their father in their life uh, you know all that comes with with the relationship with their dad. uh, But that's not why it changed. I changed because I needed my daughters in my life for me. I changed because I needed my marriage and everything that we had built together to that point in our life, that relationship that I had with my wife, I needed that for me. I needed my career because of everything that it said about me in terms of accomplishment and my ability to provide and to look after my family and, and give them opportunities for their future. I needed those things for me. It wasn't about giving those things to my children or my wife. It was the experience of of the feeling that that gave to me to be able to be in a position to give those things to my family. So change was all about myself. It had nothing to do with anybody else. And I went into the asking for help feeling like all of my problems were related to other people, other circumstances. But really the answer was me. So I started down this path and, you know, I I figure it took me about 30 months to get back to full health. It's probably pretty fair to say that I was depressed much sooner than I started my employment at this company a year earlier. I was unknowingly dealing with depression for years in my life. And through those 30 months, you know, I was off work for two months. I was out of my home for six months. In the beginning, I was not able to see my children unaccompanied by another adult. I spent thousands of dollars on counseling and getting my health back the best investment I've ever made in my life for sure and as I went through that 30-month period of recovery you know we rebuilt a territory that when I took it over was you know around 800,000 in volume and we turned that into millions We eliminated three quarters of our customer base. We started doing business with the best clients in the market. We started meeting the best developers, the best contractors, and started doing business with them. You know, none of my clients knew what I was dealing with. Uh, most of the people I worked with had no idea what I was going through. You know, my boss knew, the head HR knew. I'm sure that some of the executive level of the company knew, but that was it. And if you looked at every measurable of an employee, you know, I was productive. I was profitable. I was, you know, positive to work with. Like all of the measurements that we determine a profitable employee to bring to the company, you know, I I was ticking all of those boxes. And yet how is that possible given the story that I just told you about my mental health? So, this really became interesting to me because as I was going through the beginning stages of the recovery, you know, I was looking for anything I could find that would offer me some inspiration, you know, to keep doing the work, to make the change. And I found myself just consuming a lot of TED Talks. That was one of the things I did. And I came across this guy named Sean Accor. And he had a TED Talk that was called The Happiness Advantage. And it was supposed to be all about happiness in the workplace related to performance. So he described himself as a positive psychologist. And I'd never heard that term before. And I found it interesting, so I watched his his TED Talk. And it was 12 and a half minutes of life-changing information for me. You know, he put up a slide at one point where he talked about 75% of all success that we have in our life relates to only three things. And immediately I'm thinking... You know, intelligence, aptitude, experience, work ethic, skill set. You know, all the things that if you really think about it, it, it sounds like a list of the people systems in our businesses. You know, how we hire people, how we promote people, how we build our teams, how we eliminate people are based on these components ...that are necessary for success. You know, you need work ethic. You need skills. You need intelligence to have success in the world. But at best, these components that I always thought were the most important... ...affected 25% of my ability to be successful or not. I found that mind-blowing. And then he described that three-quarters of all success relate to your optimism levels, the strength of your social support network, and your ability to see stress as a challenge instead of an obstacle. That's it. I couldn't believe it. You know, the first thing that I thought of was, I can affect all of those things quite easily. Like, there must be a way that i can pull apart my social support network that i can improve it i can strengthen it i can put myself in a position to understand who to call when uh who's going to offer the right kind of support in the right moment you know i could really work on that and i could improve and strengthen that i could probably dive into learning about you know skills like grit and resilience to help shift and alter the perception that I have of stress in my life, to help me to see it more as a challenge rather than this huge obstacle that I feel all the time. And given what he was talking about positive psychology, this was the most interesting to me. It seemed like I could affect the function and performance of my brain through learning about the tools of positive psychology. So I decided to do everything I could to figure out what that was. I started taking courses. I started watching videos. I started listening to podcasts. And what I found was shocking. You know, we live in one of four states in our mind. We are either in the positive, the negative, the neutral, or stressed. And we can actually affect change into how often we spend in each of these states. It's up to us. We can affect that. You know, I learned about uh, affecting my optimism levels. I learned about identifying and leveraging my strengths. You know, what is unique about me? That I bring to the table that nobody else on this planet has. That if I lean into that, I will multiply the opportunity of success in my life. So I really started to, to eat this stuff up. And one day I was looking at the mission statement of my company. And great company care about their people, invest in their people, and believe in their people, to the point that the mission statement said, the competitive advantage is the human resource. It's because of the people that the company has success. So that got me thinking, if that's true... If the people are the most important thing in the business, the brain of the employee has to be the most important tool in the business. And what are we doing to invest in that flourishing and reaching its fullest potential? That became an interesting question to me. I started looking at other companies' mission statements. Pretty much Everybody who's anybody that cares about their employees, they all have some version of the people are the reason that we have success. You can hear them talk about it. You can read it in their mission statements. It's everywhere. And again, if we look at the fact that 25% of all North American adults have a diagnosable mental health condition at some point in their lifetime. This affects all of us. Because if it's not you, it's one in three people you know. It's everywhere. And what are we doing to really invest in that? You know, in Canada, mental health disorders like depression and anxiety costs Canadian companies $50 billion a year, at a minimum. On an individual employee level, it's $1,500 per employee in your business that mental health costs you. Now, how much do you spend as a business investing in the training of your people, investing in the tools and systems and processes Of your people? You know, how much do you spend on an ergonomic chair for them? And how much do you spend on their mental health and well being? And I'm not talking about letting them wear jeans to the office on Friday. I'm talking about helping them to reach their fullest potential, helping them to achieve success. So much of it is in our mind. So much of it is prevented by us. What are we doing to help that happen? And why is it? This is the other big question that I came across in my journey to health. Why is it that I had to end up on the edge of the cliff, ready to jump off before I asked for help? How come I couldn't even recognize in myself the need for help in the first place before I ended up in that position? You know, there's there's programs in my company to to support the employees. There's counseling that's available. There's different um, options. And yet... It's not talked about, really. It's not focused on. You know, in Canada, a great number for a company in terms of usage of the employee assistance program is less than 10%. It's shocking to me. So my experience was you end up at the edge of the cliff not asking for help because of stigma. And stigma has existed in our society for generations. And it has become, it's morphed into self-stigma, which is much more dangerous because self-stigma is what prevents one from recognizing that they need to get the help in the first place. You know, the the fear of reaching out and asking for help. And I experienced some of that fear. You know, there was these consequences that came from asking for the help in the beginning. They were all overcomable. You know, there's there's guilt that becomes so heavy. You know, I remember talking to a person who's really important in my life, really close to me as I was recovering from the depression. And, you know, I was explaining how, you know, some days I just don't want to get out of bed. Like I just don't want to go to work. And I remember her saying to me, like, don't you feel guilty? Like, don't you feel guilty you're not following through on your responsibility to look after your children? You know, this exists as a stigma in our society. And there's nothing heavier than the stigma of shame. That weight, you know, you can't even look yourself in the mirror because of the shame that you feel about others finding out that there's something wrong with you. And the reality is, the act of reaching out and asking for help is the most courageous strength I have ever experienced in my life. It's not even close. The experience of asking for and receiving the help is the opposite of these stigmas that exist in our society. And I think if we're willing to talk about this, if we are willing to be vulnerable and allow ourselves to be seen, truly seen for who we are, I think the humanity will come out and the support will come out. And we'll be able to help each other. We'll be able to get to a point where we can achieve as individuals the greatest version of the most incredible vision we could ever have for ourselves. That's what our company should be helping us to accomplish as employees. That's the level of support that I'm talking about. And it's a lot less expensive than doing nothing. But it's the right thing to do. You know, if you start to believe in the science, you can't argue with the math. It pays for itself. But that's not even the reason that we should do this. We should be willing to put our employees' mental health and well-being at the forefront. Because if we teach them the tools of positive psychology, if we teach them how to improve their optimism levels, if we teach them how to use their optimism levels to shift their perspective about stressful situations that the job puts them in, if we help them to identify and leverage their strengths and their unique genius, we will allow them to work around their weaknesses and focus in the areas of their strengths we will allow them to be re-energized with this renewable resource of experiencing one's strengths. Because the reality of the job is that you have to do it again and again and again. And if you're focused on the things that weaken you instead of strengthen you, you'll never get there. You'll burn out. So that's what The Depressed Salesman is about for me. It's about awareness. It's about a willingness to have these conversations with other sales professionals. Because what I have found is that the role of a salesperson has people end up in very similar circumstances time and time again. And those circumstances are taking a toll on our mental health and well-being. And salespeople that I've talked to have almost unknowingly developed tools that help them get through these circumstances that affect their mental health. And because they now have a tool to help them through that, they're able to perform in the most difficult of situations. And they're able to deliver better results. And if we're all willing to talk about this and share these tools, I think that we'll all help each other get to the greatest version of the highest vision we could ever hold for ourselves. So The Depressed Salesman is a series of authentic conversations about the intersection of sales results and our mental health and well-being. Because if we improve one, we automatically improve the other. They're linked. You can't get away from it. Your mental health is as important, if not more important, than your physical health. Because it affects your physical health. It affects your results. It affects your ability to perform at your highest level. So I'm going to continue with the Depressed Salesman Podcast. I am going to continue to have these conversations with sales professionals and hopefully offer tools that will help others. I have also developed an equation for myself that has brought me the success that I have experienced in my career. And that equation looks like mental stability, plus my unique genius, plus systemizing the tasks and activities that actually generate the sales. That's how I was able to take a business that was doing less than a million dollars, eliminate 75% of the customer base, and 10x the business over a four-year period. That's how I was able to accomplish that. Working less and selling more. Less stress, more time with my family and friends. Less focus on how many sales. More focus on how do I sell one dollar? Who do I sell it to? Focus on the process and focus on effectively being efficient. That's what my online course, The Intersection of Sales and Well-Being, will teach you. That's what I can offer to you. The other component of the depressed salesman today is I do offer one-on-one coaching. So that's another thing that's available to you if you want me to help you pull apart your role as a salesperson and help you implement the equation that brought me the success that it did, that is something that I'm more than happy to do. And where I want to get to in the future with the depressed salesman is I want to create a community of like-minded salespeople all around the world that are willing to authentically share conversations about their mental health as a salesperson and what tools they've developed that allows them to perform at their best in the most stressful of situations. I'm looking to help people because I feel like a number of people helped me find my health again. And when I found my health, I found success like I never thought was possible before that. I did it. You can do it. I'm not the best salesperson in the world. (laughs) I'm not a doctor. I'm not a mental health professional. You know, I'm not an expert in any of those things. But I am an expert in my experience with overcoming severe depression as a salesperson. I am an expert In how I took that and created an equation that brought me success. And it brought me sustainable results over the long term. And it brought me contentment. Because I finally listened to the person who hired me. And began to change my life. Because when he hired me, I heard him say, but I didn't hear it until after my leave of absence and after I had proved to him by showing him an example of one month of my calendar that was going to have scheduled time for myself, time with my friends, time with my wife time with my children and no more than 55 hours a week working for him the last component for him to give me the approval to come off of my sick leave and go back to work was him saying to me I told you when I hired you what the job is what did I tell you and like, I know what the job is, you know, like I'm a, at the time, a nineteen twenty year, you know, seasoned veteran salesperson. I know what the job is, but I knew I didn't have the answer to the question that he was asking me. I knew I had no idea what he was talking about. And he said to me, the job is simple. You take care of yourself first your family second, and this company third. That's the job. You had it all backwards. And if you do it again, I'll fire you myself. That's what fundamental change looks like. Because you can listen to people. But until you're ready to hear them, you can't change. So thanks again for tuning in for this episode of the Depressed Salesman Podcast. We'll see you in the next one.